You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for April 22nd, 2016. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the set of Escape from New York 2, Snake Plissken versus the Unbound Delegates. It's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Gal. Hey, you know, we might have to change the opening of our show because we are also now available on Google Play. Oh, my. So uh, we'll see. I'd like some feedback from our listeners as to whether you would listen on Google Play. Mm-hmm. And uh, if so, we'll change out our opening and mention that to people. So Yeah, well, we do a live read every week, so yeah, so it's not hard. Whatever, whatever people want to do, we, we're happy to... We're glad that they decided to accept our podcast as a legitimate podcast for their purposes. And uh, we'll take whatever we can get to get people to listen to the show. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I've heard of this Google before. And I, <laughs> I hear it's going places. I'm I, still, still an Alta Vista man myself. But, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Everybody's trying now to sort of get on the podcast bandwagon. And hopefully we're old school enough and have got on the bandwagon early enough to be a player. Oh, of honey. some kind. Ha, ha. Oh, honey. Let me remind you of the history of blogging. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Early adopters do very well when they're in New York mm-hmm. and Los Angeles yeah, and right. Washington. Uh, but we will continue doing what we do regardless of uh, rain or shine. We actually uh, had coffee with a couple of listeners. Yes, we did. And we're very much appreciated. Doc and his wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, Doc wore a Doctor Who t-shirt, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Doc's wife is a... Uh, Chicago Public Teacher, mm-hmm. Go Teachers Union. Go Teachers Union, yeah. Baby. Amen. Yeah. And uh, they're Just awesome people. So thank you for that. It was fun to meet you. And anytime anybody's in Springfield, Illinois, and wants to get together for coffee, we know the hippie coffee place in Springfield. We do. So we, we do. will show you where that is. And this and this dispelled my paranoia that no one actually listens to the podcast. <laughs> Doc so. listens to the podcast. He yeah. does. And Just and. Nice. It's awesome. We had a really nice chat with them, and, yes, and we did. we're willing to do that anytime. And, and Netroots Nation will be coming up this summer. We're going. Mm-hmm. If you're going, uh, let us know. And yeah. you know, our email address is proleftpodcast at gmail dot com. So mm-hmm. we'll be in the stairwell conducting our own <laughs> our own little sort of session, <laughs> our own bootleg session, our own uh, uh, off the books uh, seminar on how to well, podcast. They released the the top vote getters uh, yesterday for their panels, and a couple of looked interesting i thought the one on um talking to white people about uh structural racism yep was a good one and uh there was another one about kind of how to uh out fox your fox news listener mentality yeah um i think that'll get a lot of uh, people in there yep and uh we'll see you know and of course you and i'll be going to the branding one how to brand our podcast because that's what we want to do you know, with our with our matching day glow, yeah, jogging suits, <laughs> and t-shirts. Mm-hmm. I plan to wear a ball gown the entire weekend. So do I. So <laughs> there's that. And just try to keep us out of every bathroom at the hotel. You know, that's, right. that's the we're going to go in there together. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so drift glass, you want to talk about 
a, a suggestion to change political coverage, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, I, it's not enforceable by law, but it should be enforceable by comedy. <laughs> um, and by common sense and by, by pressure and let anybody say anything they want about politics on the air, no matter how stupid it is or how ridiculous it is or how one it is or how centrist it is. Let Ron Fournier and David Brooks and the rest of the, the clowns have say whatever they want. But they have to talk all of them in the voice of golf commentators. I think that's a great idea. And that's Bernie, Bernie Sanders coming up on uh, New York now. Uh, what's he going to do? Uh, everybody be quiet. Everybody be quiet in the gallery. Here comes Hillary Clinton. She's uh, she's coming out strong. I think she's going to use a, a five iron there, Jim. What do you think? <laughs> Donald Trump. Donald Trump's a you know he's a he's a strong play, he's a he's a gut player. He gets out there, <laughs> and that's the only tone you're allowed to use to talk about politics. Let's just try it for a week and see how oh. it goes. How, well, I, uh, Michael Steele this morning on whatever MSNBC show they they're calling it too early or early enough or later in the day or whatever they're calling it. It was around 8.20 in the morning. Morning, Joe. They had, well, they had, no, but it was Steve Kornacki. He was yeah, interviewing well, who, they're all Michael Steele. So, you know. Interchangeable. Yeah. Uh, Joe but Scarborough was, basically goes on an hour and a half long break. Oh, yeah, he takes a dump at about 8.20. Yeah. That's right. He goes right. for a dump and a dump pairing on about 8.20. Comes back and slaps Mika around verbally a little bit. <laughs> and then we're done for the day. Yeah, yeah. Collect my paycheck and I'm out the door. Uh, but... Michael Steele was talking like a golf commentator in that he's he was talking about how Donald Trump can uh, he didn't say the word pivot. He said that Donald Trump uh, could adjust his tone and that he was going to be a different candidate now that he doesn't have 17 other Republicans beating up on him. Yeah, uh, that he'll be able to reset. The word was reset. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was, was something to that effect in the uh, Washington Post, I believe, today. Oh, I, I scanned it very briefly. But it really was. Um, and Charlie Pierce uh, has, has a lovely column about it, uh, which I also briefly scanned. By the way, um, sorry to see that the uh, uh, Esquire's comment section has been shut down. It's evaporated somehow. Um, no also, announcement, though. No announcement. No mention. It's not a technical glitch because that's the sort of thing you would tell people, you know, don't get freaked out, folks. I'm assuming it's shut down for good. It's, you know, it's free. It's it, it, no one took anything away from me that I had paid for, so I really can't complain. Well, it, wasn't it connected to Facebook? I mean, they were using Facebook comments. They were using Facebook and I think one or two other verification methods. Oh, uh, okay. That just you know, there you go. It doesn't appear on their site anymore. No, there are no comments. There's no way to get into comments, um, which was a shame because it it had built it, because he started off with a very large. Uh, platform, which is mm -hmm. Esquire, because Charlie's a very good writer. Mm -hmm. uh, he developed a, a little community there of people who would come and exchange ideas and talk. And every now and then there'd be this massive influx of trolls um, from someplace when he said something mean about a National Review or whatever. Um, but he, so I'm sorry to see that go. I hope it comes back. I hope, you know, I hope nobody got in trouble. Um, it's just well, a shame to see those Esquire's, things. Go. Esquire's Facebook page mm -hmm. is still publishing articles on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, there's one from 10 minutes ago. So I know that they're still using that as a using deliver. that as a deliver and people are commenting over there. Yeah. So it may be, I mean, maybe they just decided not to use the space on their website anymore. Mm -hmm. But anyway, one more scam to get me to use Facebook and it's not going to work. <laughs> that's what, that's really what they're, it's a conspiracy to try to get you to use Facebook. Everything is, but there's a, um, there's a, a wonderful article about how, uh, everyone knows this is, this is, a, this is a scam. Everyone knows. And, and 
Paul Manafort, the um, new you, Trump. You, now, what you mean by this is a scam, you mean the ability of Donald Trump yeah. to switch to being more presidential, right? Everyone knows this is bullshit. Yeah. Everyone knows. Um, and e even even uh, in previous campaigns, I think he likened it a little bit to Nixon. Nixon at least tried to reinvent himself and sound sincere. Mm-hmm. Campaign people are just like, well, you know what we'll do? We'll just paint them a different color and roll them out as a new product. It'll be fine because right, he's right. just on anything. Because, right. you know, let's face it, Republican voters are morons. They'll believe anything. So, you know, we dress well, them up in a clown the, suit. I'm going to interrupt you for just a minute. Drew, the, the presumption behind all of these statements is that Republican primary voters are insane. And you yeah. cannot you cannot win with the same message you give Republican primary voters yep. in the general election ever yeah. because their message, the message that the Republican primary voter requires is racist and stupid. Right. And therefore, you have to switch over to a sane person and assume that the stupid, stupid Republican primary voter will have nowhere else to go. And that message that which is, again, it's, it's kind of remarkable that it's so open. Yeah. That you're talking about the rubes yeah. right in front of them. Right in front and of them. And they are, yeah. frankly, too stupid to know you're talking about mm -hmm. them. Uh, that this message is directed at the donor class and whatever the hell's left of the Republican establishment saying, OK, look, I'm going to win. And I will you know, dress up in a nicer suit and I'll stop calling, you know, <laughs> I'll stop calling uh, Lion Ted. I'll stop. I'll cut out a couple of things uh, and I'll make myself minimally acceptable to you because we all know this is just – uh, a character that I act out in front of these morons to get their votes, and I can act a different way as the situation requires. So everybody just calm down. I'm going to come in. I'm going to win. I'm going to take over your party, and I'll do it in a way that you know you can actually go home and not hang your head in shame at your Republican family gatherings. Right. And that's all bullshit. He's doing it in the open. He is saying openly to the people who control the party or whatever's left of it and the money that, you know, we all know we can pull any shit we want and these rubes will go along. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll put on a better, a better suit and a better tie and I'll dress up my language a little bit and you'll shut up and do what I tell you because I'll be your candidate. And that's the way things are going to be. And they're just, sort, you know, they're lining up to in a grudging, you know, slack jawed kind of shit, total defeated way. I mean, I, I, I imagine – this is what uh, this is the scene from Casablanca when the the them how to behave when they came marching in. Donald Trump is explaining to the Republican Party not what he will do for them, but what they will do for him. Mm -hmm. That here's how I expect you to behave when I come marching into Paris, and you goddamn well better behave yourself because if you don't, you will have no political party left. You'll have no job left. There'll be no place for you to uh, suck a dollar off a teat. Because there'll be no Republican infrastructure left. So everybody get in line behind me and I'll march to a slightly different drummer to make you all happy. And they're going to do it. Yeah. They're going to do it because these are essentially people without a conscience and who are totally driven by their access to power for power. And this is back 30 years. Every Republican maneuver from uh, impeaching Clinton to lining up behind George Bush to forgetting the entire Bush administration to obstructing uh, Obama taken – as a, as a tap is one tactical maneuver involving complete hypocrisy, complete destruction of the opposition, um, absolute uh, uh, complete lack of, of care for what their recklessness is causing. Just complete unconcern for the fact that it lied us into the wrong war, broke the economy. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. It made yeah. us more popular. We won, didn't we? They, they are so 
completely fascist at heart and so completely divorced from any interest in running this country at all that they will go along with the biggest, loudest demagogue to come along. Yeah. And he's just getting them ready for that. So we have to talk about the New York primary. Yes, we do. Not just because Donald Trump won big time. And I did think it was funny that uh, Kasich got three delegates and yeah. Cruz got none. Yeah. Which is what you, when you insult the entire state yeah. less than three months ago and then pre- pretend that you're going to get votes, you just don't. Um, but Hillary Clinton had a great day, great night, yeah. great uh, experience and won big. And um, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, a couple things in res- as I have read the results uh, of social media to this event, particularly among my Bernie Sanders followers and supporters and friends on Facebook and so forth. Um, a lot of anger about independents not being able to vote uh, and that it should be an open primary. Um, personally, I like closed primaries. Yeah. Um, because I think it should be a party decision. Yeah. And I don't want Republicans coming in and voting for Ron Paul as the Democratic nominee ever. You know, or and Lyndon I, and, LaRouche. Or yeah. whoever. Right. Yeah. They shouldn't be able to vote for for Bernie. I mean, they shouldn't be able to uh, come in and rat fuck. And that's what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they might not be able to do that as a, at a presidential level unless Rush Limbaugh decides to tell them all to do that, which he can do. Right. Uh, but in smaller races, that can definitely happen. You mm-hmm. can get, a, you know crazy ass libertarian on the ballot that way uh, in in small races and that's not something you want to see happen no um, the other thing is uh, if we're going to go and I said this on Twitter if we're going to go to open primaries everywhere Sanders liberal candidates anyone who is uh, an outsider candidate is more likely to lose yeah yeah um, I was looking at an article. It happens to be at PolitiFact, which I don't usually use as a source material. But um, Lewis Jacobson wrote this article on Tuesday, um, the day of the primary. And uh, he was looking, this is a statistician article, uh, looking at turnout in primaries versus caucuses and trying to determine whether Bernie Sanders' statement that when turnout is high, we win. Mm -hmm. And when turnout is low, we don't. And whether that's true. And if you look at it in terms of caucuses, uh, it's it's sort of hard to determine turnout in caucuses. But the way they they were very transparent about how they indicated turnout for these caucuses, they this article looked at the number of Democratic ballots that Barack Obama received in the 2012 general election for each state, mm-hmm. and that. They consider a, an approximation of how many Democratic or Democratic-leaning voters there are in that state. Then they took the number of Democratic ballots cast in the primaries and caucuses this year, and they divided Barack Obama's vote into that to determine the percentage of, uh, I'm sorry, the other way around, the, the number of, of primary caucus voters dividing by the number of Barack Obama votes, and that determines the percentage of turnout. Right. And I mean, that's that's you can argue with that. But being transparent about it, that's the way they determine turnout on these these events. Yeah. And Sanders did win in Oklahoma, New Hampshire and Vermont. And Vermont is an outlier for I mean, even Sanders admits that because it's his home state. But um, he won in Oklahoma where they had a 75 percent turnout. 
but in these other states that had real, and he won in Wisconsin, which was a 62% turnout, but these other high turnout states, uh, he did not win. And the caucuses in particular, the uh, three, six, nine, ten caucuses that Bernie Sanders won all had less than 15% turnout of Democratic voters because caucuses suppress turnout. Working moms can't attend caucuses. People that work at night, if it's a nighttime caucus, can't attend. Mm -hmm. And the process of caucuses seems complicated to some people. Seniors won't necessarily turn out for caucuses if they feel like they're going to be confused or bullied or have to, you know, make contact with lots of people. Some people don't want to reveal their vote to people. And in caucuses, you have to be very open about it. Uh, and so caucuses do suppress turnout. So uh, if you're going to argue that open primaries are the way to go and we want everyone to vote, uh, no, you don't. First of all, <laughs> no one, no one that is a partisan wants everyone to vote. You want your voters to vote. Right. That's who you want to vote. You want, you want your voters to vote in your thing. Right, right. You want your voters to turn. You want, if you're a Sanders supporter, you want Sanders supporters to turn out. Right. And you want them to have unlimited access to the ballot. That I'm, I'm not saying that those of us who are Sanders supporters uh, are anti-democratic. No. For that. That's simply, it, you want to win. That's what you want. So uh, it, I understand the frustration and particularly this big a loss for people to, you know, want to look for a way in which Bernie Sanders was cheated. Mm -hmm. um, one way that I feel the Sanders people were cheated is the ridiculous amount of time that New York, uh, the New York Democratic Party decided it needed to have uh, for changing your voter registration. Last yeah. October, I mean, that's just a joke. Yes. California, um, which has its own problems, and maybe we can talk about that with a lot of people registering with the American Independent Party instead yeah. of as an independent. <laughs> um, it, uh, yes. which is, which is, you know, that's the George Wallace party. American independent party is the George Wallace party. Yeah. Uh, you have to say on your registration, uh, n no party affiliation, but no one tells you that, but you have in California for the primary that is in June, you have until May, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find that you yeah, have until a date in May to do it. You have, you know, six weeks is a reasonable outside length where the party says, yeah, we need to finalize our voter rolls. Yeah. And so, you know, we need four to six weeks to do that. So you within four to six weeks, you need to be able to change your registration. And if a party decides that they're going to allow people that have no party affiliation to reg to vote in their primary, that's their choice. Right. But um, six months is too long. And, and New York needs to change that. And also, there's been a lot of calls. There's an article uh, yesterday in the Los Angeles Times that says California's voter registration form looks like it was written by a chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, they need to fix that, too, and that there's a call to do that. You know, the fact that there is a contested primary situation in the Democratic Party mm -hmm. is leading people to look to, at these situations yeah. and hopefully reform reform them. But wasn't it Josh Marshall who was saying, if we reform the primary process to make it so that more people participate, right. uh, a candidate like Sanders gets hurt by that. So what you want is lots and lots of college students to vote, lots right. and lots of very committed liberals who always vote mm -hmm. to vote. Those are the people you want to vote. So if if you're marching around saying... You know, the process is is rigged, as Donald Trump says, you know, and we have to 
uh, we are preventing everyone from voting and we should allow everyone to vote, you're going to be sorry. Uh, that's not what we want. We want our people to vote. And that's a whole different process. Get out the vote. You know who was really good at that drift class? Barack Obama. Barack Obama was a genius at that. His campaign yeah. his campaign worked both sides. They worked um, – they figured out how the caucus system worked and how you actually win delegates. Mm-hmm. And they figured out how to get out the vote. And they, they, they figured out how to use their grassroots capacity mm-hmm. to make personal connections with voters right. in small communities so that if Mrs. Smith needed a ride to the polls that day mm-hmm. – and she could call three friends who would also need rides to the polls. Mm-hmm. And Joey, who was 22 and doing nothing but working for the campaign, his job was to go pick her up and get her to the polls. Yeah. And, this, so, this is, and, she, and he knew her. He had, he had had lunch with her. He had, Joey was a trusted person. This is how the ward you know, system worked yeah, exactly, in Chicago exactly. for, for generations. Yep. The, bo- yep. the ward boss, you knew the ward boss. The ward boss made sure you had a turkey at Christmas, mm-hmm. a ham at Thanksgiving, or a turkey at Thanksgiving, a ham at Christmas. Right. Got the winos and old people out of the skid row in the old folks' home mm-hmm. um, on Election Day. Election Day was held on the most god-awful cold week of the year because they don't want high turnout. Right. And you knew the guy. And mm-hmm. you come around, so you need a ride to the election. Pl- it is it is essentially the same skill as a community organizer. Yep. Uh, applied yep. to politic- making political change. Mm-hmm. And I'd be willing to trade tomorrow um, some of the restrictions that Republicans talk about, voter ID and things like that, in exchange for same-day registration, longer voting hours, uh, more voting places, yeah, early voting. If I'm willing to, and, and you and you spend a ton of money making sure anybody who wants a voter ID can get one easily, mm-hmm. that you have mobile voting units, that that anybody who wants to vote, anybody who wants to vote. Can go to their the pharmacy and there's a booth where right. they can register to vote right. at Walgreens. Which know? is all very doable. I mean, yeah. you know, if, if yeah. I can find an ATM machine on every goddamn corner in America, mm-hmm. I sure as hell can find a way to register people to vote in the most important democratic process, in the most important democracy on earth, right. allegedly, uh, in a way that is convenient, not Voting. Voting should be done in a booth, done in secret with a paper trail mm-hmm. that you can verify that what they voted, uh, w- the vote that was cast, if there's any controversy later. But getting people registered and getting them uh, informed should be absolutely a no-brainer. And the reason that will never happen is because Republicans do best when there's low voter turnout mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> as a rule. And so they will never agree to making voting easier for the large mass of Americans. Not for not for college kids, not for old people, not for minorities. That's why you saw the number of polling places, you know, drop by 50 percent in some states. The states where, surprise, surprise, the conservative Supreme Court told them they didn't have to to uh, enforce the Voting Rights Act anymore. So yep. it's not this is not a game where reform can be enacted by one side. Um, and I am not willing to change much of anything when it comes to the general election until the Republican Party is disenthralled from its obsession with hating democracy right. and wanting to wreck my fucking country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to be kept out of power, period. And, um, Dirk Glass, one last word on New York. I'm going to do a Bible bitch, if you don't mind. Please. Bible bitch. That's not scriptural. Is it about Sodom and Gomorrah? No. Oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Matthew. The king will say to those on his right, enter you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. 
and here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I am telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. I just want to remind everyone why we're liberals. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, that's right. Oh, and, well, I we're liberals just, because we care about people. I thought it was we're just liberals. because we're smug. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to smug liberals yeah. in a minute. Yeah. We're liberals because we care about people. Yeah. We're liberals because we believe in society. Yeah. We believe in a mutual obligation to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to lose that. And if we lose this primary process... Mm -hmm. We can't lose the purpose of why we're here. Right. And the purpose of why we're here is not attached to one candidate. Nope. Um, it's attached to Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and uh, Al Franken. Yeah. Uh, a lot of other people and all of us working together uh, to make the world a better place. And we've got a lot of work to do. We've got to undo Citizens United. We've got to undo gerrymandering. We've got a lot of work to do to lay some groundwork. We're behind on that. Right. Um, the the Republican Party and the conservatives are very good at funding uh, astroturf movements to win state houses. Yes, they are. And and to to uh, jury, you know rig the the election system so that they win small races. And uh, so we've got work to do. And, and it's, it's harder. I mean. Their job is to start fires and break things. Mm -hmm. Our job mm -hmm. is to put fires out and build things. Mm -hmm. And that is inherently a more difficult and time-consuming and exhausting job, especially as you are trying to repair things and they go right on setting fires. Mm -hmm. So uh, keep your eyes on the prize is what I'm saying. Uh, regardless of how this turns out, um, keep the faith. And, and don't be so goddamn smug, Driftglass. <laughs> yes, we're going to get to that in just a minute. Yeah. You want, like, do you want to talk about Peggy Noonan first? I, I'd like to talk about um, uh, Joe Scarborough for one hot minute. Okay. Um, <laughs> only because uh, something happened on the news this week that passed right past everyone, except for the good people at Crooks and Liars and me. <clears throat> um, it was during the election coverage. It was during the, the primary coverage when Joe Scarborough was doing his rambly, over-caffeinated bullshit. He was on his high horse. He yeah. gets on that horse and he just trots around like yeah. he's he knows everything from 1994 on. Yeah. But I'd yeah. like to, and, and I wrote a long post about this, uh, that you are free to read or not. Yeah, the comment section at my place is still open. <laughs> um, I can't speak for anyone else anywhere else, but my comment section is still open. But there was this golden moment that, will never be reported anywhere else on MSNBC and certainly won't be reported anywhere else in the press. But when Joe Scarborough said, you know, back in 2009, when these people were calling themselves Tea Partiers, I looked at him and said, wait a minute, that's my base. Mm -hmm. these, they're, they're, they're just Republicans. Oh, my God. No, they, these aren't new people. These aren't this isn't some bunch of new guys. These are the same people who elected Newt Gingrich. These are the same people who elected me in 1994. Mm -hmm. These are the same people who voted for Reagan. 
And the idea that they're slapping this label on themselves and calling them tea partiers made me laugh. Here's, wow. why here's why that cracks me up and makes me sad. It makes me furious all at the same time. At the time, it was heresy to suggest that the Tea Party was anything other than a noble grassroots movement of just plain good folks who were rising up spontaneously, not because there was a Negro president, mind you. It was heresy back mm -hmm. in 2009 that the Tea Party was anything other than a uh, confederation of concerned citizens with no particular political affiliation that rose spontaneously from the soil of this great country uh, had nothing to do with the fact that there was a, a, a Negro president now, despite the fact that it all took place 10 minutes after Barack Obama was inaugurated. And was advertised very heavily by Fox News. Wall to wall on Fox Wall to wall on the hate radio. Entire month of March 2009, you heard nothing else but. Mm -hmm. Our Fox News personalities are spreading out across the country for Tea Party rallies on April 15th. Please mm -hmm. come. And this is what you expect from conservatives. Con conservatives are, are inherently liars and, and frauds. Uh, they have to lie because if they didn't lie, they, their movement would fall apart. And they, have to, they, they needed a way to let their base and their viewers off the hook for being destructive assholes during the entire Bush administration and applauding shit that they now wanted to protest without ever actually saying, oh, I guess I got that wrong. Because you're not allowed to be wrong if you're a conservative. You're never allowed to admit that you're wrong. The only thing you're allowed to say as a conservative is that I wasn't conservative enough. So they needed a way to blame Barack Obama 10 minutes after he was inaugurated and go screaming into the streets with signs showing him with a bone through his nose as a witch doctor, as a socialist, Kenyanist, imperialist monster, without actually being held to account for the fact that all the shit they actually hated was done by George Bush, and they had spent the last eight years applauding it. And so it was certainly understandable why conservatives, being hypocrites and traitors that they are, would invent a strategy whereby the Bush administration never happened. What was more mysterious and hilarious was the fact that the Beltway media went right along with it. They absolutely went. And so there was, a, like the Iraq war, you had the conservative media lying constantly, well-funded, wall-to-wall, coast-to-coast, 24 hours a day, lying, 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 lying. And you had the Beltway media going right along with it. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it awesome? Here comes David Brooks jogging past a bunch of tea partiers. And they're just, they're just ordinary folks, blue gal. They're just yeah. good salt of the earth people out there. And it went right <laughs> down to the Chicago market where Phil Ponce on the PBS station was interviewing people that with two minutes of research, he would have learned were Republican operatives. Yeah, who, who had done email lists yeah. and voter organization and, and were very involved in Republican politics. And people in Republican politics knew who they were. Mm -hmm. But, oh, no, we're just new. You know, this is a whole new thing. We've never done anything political before. And, yeah, you're just and lying. The only people who were saying, this is bullshit, this is bullshit, this, they're just fucking Republicans. Let me guess, smug liberals. Smug, those smug eyeballs who hate America and lie constantly <laughs> were the only people who were saying, no, this is insane. You know, 10 million people just didn't beam in from another planet. These are the same goddamn people who've been fucking this country up for 30 years. They're getting away with it again. Why are you letting them get a, getting away with lying about this? 
Of course, you could never get that on the air. No one would ever publish that story. Nobody on the radio was going to talk about it. No one on Meet the Press was going to interview anybody who said any such thing because they're all in on it together. The, the Beltway narrative after the Bush administration collapsed shifted from liberals are awful to isn't it a shame how the extremes on both sides are to blame for everything? Because there's this vital center, and suddenly there's like a bunch of people in tricorn hats who all say, we're all independents. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. look, we found them. We found the unicorn. They're, they're independents. They wear these funny hats, and they want to take their country back. Again, be very careful about wishing that independents mm -hmm. should vote in yes. your primary. <laughs> no, no, there are a bunch of Republicans who call themselves independents so yeah. they don't get punched in the face every time they walk down the street. So what happens? Well, surprise, surprise. It turns out, in retrospect, once again, Fox News invent completely lied. Fox News just invented this whole group out of whole cloth. They lied and they lied and they lied and they lied. And the Beltway lied and lied and lied. And Joe, here comes Joe Scarborough in 2016. Yeah, we, we knew these were Republicans. Yeah, it was obvious what they were. So the part of this that made me laugh was, Everybody knew. Everybody yeah. was in on it. And yep. and the only people who were willing to tell the truth was the same group of people who were never allowed anywhere near a fucking camera or a microphone. The people who actually say, but wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Arithmetically, it doesn't make any sense this happened. But now that that's safely in the past, where no one's going to fire me for finally admitting I'm a lying scumbag and I'm, I'm just another Republican hack who, for some reason, Phil Griffin keeps giving millions of dollars to – um, it's perfectly safe for Joe Scarborough to say, yeah, it was all bullshit. It was all a scam. They were nothing but Republicans. They were always Republicans. We all knew it. Ha ha. Fuck you. We won. So <laughs> I love what our, our listener Walt said on our Facebook page. He said, Joe Scarborough was what happens when you drop David Brooks on his head dozens of times. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And he's figuring out. That path. And, and uh, that's one end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum is uh, a gentleman by the name of Emmett Renzen. In what is Emmett all about? Emmett's all about – Emmett has many strong opinions. Uh, <laughs> Emmett is four years old. No, Emmett is uh, – Emmett is, is 26 years old. Uh, Emmett's best known for his book, Twitterature, World's Greatest Books in 20 Tweets, which he co-authored <laughs> with another guy. Um, Emmett's dad – is named Dave, and Dave is a New York Times bestseller who interviewed people for Playboy for years. So he has lots and lots of friends yeah, in that industry in yeah. those circles. Okay. So as far as I can tell, zero qualifications to have an opinion about anything other than theater, which is what he used to do in Chicago. Okay. Uh, of course, who better to write about liberals than some guy named Emmett Renson, who's, who's twenty six and a theater guy. Twenty six theater guy, who's also uh, a contributor. I learned at. Huffington Post and The Atlantic and the big column today that he wrote that's, that's massive is how smug liberals are. Mm -hmm. This and is the point. The point is not his youth. He, he got he, you. You have a bee in your bonnet about the fact that he talks about smug liberals. That's all for I screen care about. after screen after screen. That's all I care about. Yeah. And he does. He, he doesn't mention the Republican Party once no, I, in the entire column. I made a short list of all the things he doesn't mention. Um, <laughs> well, tell us. Read us the list. He doesn't mention uh, George Bush. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 he does, I'm sorry, I lied. He, it was popularly assumed for a time that George W. Bush was too stupid to be elected president. That's because of smug liberals. I, I want to point out George Bush was not elected president. George Bush was appointed president by five activist judges. 
in violation of every concept of federalism that Republicans pretend to believe in. But I digress. Um, his entire thesis is that liberalism exists in some sort of vacuum and mm -hmm. for no particular reason other than our inherent assholeness, we have developed a smug, insular culture that refuses to acknowledge the genuine concerns of working class Americans. And at no point in this article is Roger Ailes mentioned, <laughs> Rush Limbaugh mentioned, Sean Hannity is not mentioned, Bill O'Reilly, Michelle Malkin never mentioned, Rupert Murdoch never mentioned, Wall Street Journal, nope, not in there, Regnery Press, you know, the, the publishing house that publishes yeah. all of Ann Coulter's lies and screechy hate speech, never mentioned, Jerry Falwell, never mentioned. Lee Atwater, never mentioned. Karl Rove, who the fuck is he? Southern Strategy, never heard of it. All those hundreds and hundreds of right-wing radio stations that have been blasting treason and hatred and bile for the last quarter century, they don't exist. Mm -hmm. The Clinton years never happened. There was never slander. There was never impeachment. There were never witch hunts. The entire fucking Iraq war never happened. Pissing away the Clinton surplus never happened. Katrina never happened. The big lie that was the Tea Party, as we as we spoke about just a minute ago, never happened. The caucus room conspiracy, that conspiracy that Republicans engaged in on the day Barack Obama was inaugurated to deliberately destroy his administration by absolute obstruction, never mentioned. The only problem with American politics, according to this post-pubescent child who for some reason has a prominent byline in Ezra Klein's magazine – is that liberals are just smug assholes. And that's the sum total of the problem with America. So you have David Brooks sort of um, pioneering this kind of writing. Mm -hmm. This just completely ignoring the actual history of America, completely ignoring the, the actual history of conservatism and inventing a wholly fake alternate reality where reasonable conservatives uh, and centrists are beset on all sides by equally bad people on both sides. And having established this as a career path, Joe Scarborough has followed David Brooks like an ant following a chemical path to the sugar. And now we have, again, uh, a person who, who is as young as I was once, and that's fine, who has a, a perfectly lovely degree from the University of Chicago in whatever the fuck it is, and that's fine too, but for reasons that I cannot understand, has been given a massive platform to lie. Yeah. To just yeah. fucking lie. And I don't understand. Of course, there's no comment section there. So, <laughs> so can't get to it. But, and, and here's the part that, that really does drive me crazy. Joe Scarborough is a liar. And there's no way to get anyone on MSNBC to comment on or off the record about what the hell is going on there because they'd lose their job. There's mm -hmm. no way you're going to get anyone at Vox to even acknowledge that this is a bad thing. There's no way you're going to get anyone at the New York Times to ever even acknowledge David Brooks is out of his fucking mind. You cannot get the media to be honest about the media. You and can't get the them to be honest that Donald Trump is running to be leader of the free world and he is utterly, utterly unqualified for that job. You can't get them to talk about that. Because that would cost them their job. And, and you right. look at Mr. Mann and Ornstein. Mm -hmm. Look what happens to people like... Uh, I don't know, uh, um, Melissa Harris Perry, mm -hmm. who go, who who stand up to their employer, who are presumably liberals, and say, look, I don't want to do things your way. I have my show. I want to do it my way. Boom, they're gone. Mm -hmm. There is a party line. 
And there is a rigorously enforced line between what you're allowed to talk about and what you're not allowed to talk about and what you're allowed to say and the parameters of this discussion. The parameters of the discussion are liberals are smug douchebags mm-hmm. and conservatives are whatever they are. And isn't it a shame how both sides are equally to blame for everything and awful, awful, awfulness? And that's... And- and and you don't mention Flint, Michigan either. No. You don't mention that the people that are up, that are stopping and holding up help for people who are a victim of go- of government of Republican government. The people that are stopping help for those people are Republican. Mm-hmm. It's not both sides, folks. It's not both sides. Both sides don't do that. And I would like if I were an actual journalist instead of just playing one on a podcast, <laughs> I would set as my goal to find out how exactly this child got this job. Mm -hmm. And then I would Mm -hmm. go uh, and then I'd I'd raise the stakes a little bit and find out exactly how Jonathan Greenberger got his job at ABC News. Straight out of of camp, summer camp. Another barely post-pubescent individual who is suddenly an executive producer at ABC News and his first hire is Bill Kristol. Yep. And again, no one will talk, no one, no one in the media will talk about why they will occasionally look at Bill Crystal as one looks at a a turd one has stepped on. Mm-hmm. No one will ever answer and more obvious question, which is how did he get here? Who the fuck hired this guy and who keeps him here? Because the minute you ask that question is the last day you're allowed to be on television in the United States. Let's talk. Let's end our podcast by talking about uh, more local news. Sure. And I'm I'm going to read these off and then we will talk about them. <laughs> All but, right. Uh, because we're, we're getting uh, late in the podcast. Yep. Um. As you know, Illinois still does not have a budget. Right. Uh, we I clipped from the newspaper over the past week um, a page in which there was a quote from our governor, Bruce Rauner, who is Governor Hedge Fund, mm-hmm. uh, from 2013 when he was running for governor, mm-hmm. where he said that he was going to emulate Ronald Reagan and the PATCO strike and that he might have to shut things down for a while and have some pain in order to get things fixed. Mm-hmm. And he promised the GOP meeting that he was at, that he was going to do that. And uh, so there, make no mistake, this is a union-busting effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what he wants to do. That's what he's consciously trying to do. And yep. any, any, even though he's changed his tune and says that he thinks it's terrible that there's not a budget, he knows completely that he's doing this to create a crisis, to make it so that he has the power to bust unions. Right. <laughs> so now, because there is no budget and because there, there, people are not getting paid at uh, dentist's office and universities, and uh, it's, it is creating a crisis. Um, the University of Illinois system is getting ready to lay off their civil civ- servant positions. Uh-huh. So clerical and child care workers and anyone who is not a university um, educator mm-hmm. uh, is going to be laid off. Yep. Uh, the state of Illinois is uh, now not funding burial and funeral aid to poor people. Uh-huh. If you lose someone in your family, they used to provide you with uh, a modicum amount of money to uh, bury your dead, and that is no longer the case. And bodies are piling up at morgues. Uh, people are choosing... Uh, not to claim. Not to claim them, or are choosing uh, a quick cremation and no funeral for their family member because they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are uh, well aware, and if you're reading the Chicago Tribune, uh, there is a teacher's union strike coming. Uh-huh. Um, the, the 
SEIU BERT workers are going to decide they don't want their members working for free anymore. Yep. So uh, by June, you should see front page news about the state, certainly the city of Chicago shutting down and the state of Illinois shutting down because of strikes. Um, we haven't and finally. We haven't had I, a we haven't had a citywide uh, Chicago citywide teacher strike in twenty years. Yeah, uh, we've had one day strikes, right. but not straight, a strike. full blown strike. And so this is very likely to happen. And things are this. This is all. I'm not. I'm not done. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> one more. Um, Leslie Munger, who is a Republican, uh, is the Illinois comptroller, and the Illinois comptroller's office is generally speaking uh, a government clerkship they pay the bills they make sure that the checks get released to pay people and to her credit the Illinois comptroller leslie munger has told lawmakers that uh they can bite her shiny metal ass as you say on her notes um she is going to put their paychecks in the queue to get paid whenever everybody else gets paid Mm -hmm. so they can just wait for their money just like everyone else yeah and uh frankly I feel a little bit bad about that because Bruce Rauner doesn't need his paycheck. Right. No, um, and so there are some state house members. That is a part-time job, by the way, being a member of the state house. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are lawyers in addition to that, or some people are have a, own a business in addition to being a, a state, state house member. But um, that doesn't mean that the paycheck you get for being a lawmaker isn't a necessary part of your budget. So um, I do feel bad about that, but I also think that the comptroller is making a really important point, which is if dentists' offices are having to close because they aren't getting paid for taking care of poor people, um, state legislators need to be aware of that, and it needs to hurt. So, um, yeah. Uh, so you want to comment on something? Well, just that it's already bad. Oh, yeah. Um, Illinois doesn't get reported like Flint does because Mm -hmm. there's no actual poisoning of the water supply here by our Republican governor. Uh, We don't get uh, reported like Utah because it's not as exciting to have, you know, porn involved or or uh, or bathrooms involved in the case of um, um, Mississippi, Uh, which, by the way, apparently the uh, the UK is now updating its travel advisories to mm-hmm. warn people traveling in the United States but they're that they're traveling in a barbaric and savage land yeah well and to point out to them that the the United States that there are states in the United States that are uh, unfriendly to gay and lesbian people yeah. backwards and transgender people backwards and asshole Republican states you and and to advise you where you can travel and where you can't which is a tragedy for our country. Oh, God, that is yeah. just horrible. And uh, so Illinois is really bad. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, our education system is broken. The funding mechanisms for funding schools are broken. We are the only state that has not had a budget in the last year. I mean, this is we are literally coming up on the second year of not having a budget. Um, not funding the state means also you are unable to process hiring requests for programs that are funded by the federal government. Mm-hmm. So there is a massive backlog, a hiring backlog. All the people that provide photocopier services and painting services and child care and furniture and you name it, all those services that are budgeted into your annual um, uh, budget, if you're a small business owner or a medium business owner, taking care of cars, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that the state has always paid you, you know, 300000 or a million or whatever it is to do this job of work that you do. You haven't been paid in a year. Mm-hmm. You've been you've, mm-hmm. you've been in or not. And I, there's not a lot of businesses that can sit 
because the state capital is a major employer and it is a mm-hmm. major spender of money on those sorts of administrative uh, and maintenance costs. And if you haven't been – if your business is small and you don't have enough in the bank to last through a long-ass financial winter, you go out of business. And when you go out of business, you don't go to the dry cleaners anymore and you don't take your family out to a restaurant anymore and you don't go to the movies anymore. Mm-hmm. And suddenly this ripple effect from the decision of one guy – that it's more important to break the state's back and get rid of unions than, than negotiate in good faith with people who are uh, disagree with you but who are deal makers. People in politics yeah. in Illinois are, are deal makers. That's why, they, that's why they're good at it. You might not like them. You might think they're corrupt. You might think that, that they're family. And they are, likely are. They are. <laughs> I mean, Illinois politics is dynastic. And you can look at any, any family line of any major politician and you can trace it back two or three generations. All that being said, making deals with people you disagree with to get shit done is the shortest and most accurate definition of government I can think of. And Bruce Renner doesn't want to do that. He wants to hold out for an ideologically pure position where he can destroy labor unions in Illinois in order to advance his ideological agenda. And he has the money to do it. And Illinois is bad right now, very, very bad right now, and getting worse. The amount that we're in debt is huge. And that amount grows daily based on the fines and the delayed payments. Oh, yeah. That yeah. Are the late just fees. The late fees of shit that's just not getting done. It's, it's not just we're not paying Jimmy. It's that there's a cost associated with not paying Jimmy that exceeds just paying him. Yeah. So And all of that's getting rolled into the debt or rolled into the deficit. And he doesn't care. Why should he? It's not his problem. His problem is destroying unions in this state. And there's nothing that's going to persuade him. And, and the problem is he's negotiating with people whose primary benefactors, financers, and, and supporters are unions. Yeah, yeah. And you're asking someone to commit political suicide for no reason other to, than to advance your shitty agenda. And that's never going to happen. So, And, and, and the, sh- the shitty politicians in the state house who, yes, I'm fully willing to grant you, take kickbacks – are corrupt, make deals yep. with, with people. You know, some of the unions are mobbed up, no doubt about it. It's it's a lot of it is machine politics. Hey, and... every spring aldermen go to jail. Yeah. Every fall corrupt. But you know what? Yeah. Under with those guys in office, we've still had a budget every year. Did. People have been paid every year. Yep. So it is this billionaire that is making this problem exist. And he's doing it for a nefarious reason to deprive working people of their pensions. That's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, we can, we, I don't want to generalize it and just say he wants to bust the unions. He wants to deprive teachers of their pensions. He wants to deprive people that have worked for the state for 20 years of their pensions. And he can't do it. He can't be allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. And they're playing hardball. The, the state house people who, you know, could pass a budget that allows him to line item veto pensions, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to let him do that. No. So uh, that's the way it goes. And, and um, the, the point being... It's really bad now. In about a month, it's going to get It's going to be front page news. Yeah. 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 It's going to be front page news. All right. Thank you, Drift Glass. My pleasure, Blue Gal. Each week, we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitty is Angel. Angel is the head vermin elimination technician at a Jim Beam distillery in Kentucky. 
And if if you know anything about distilleries, distillery cats are a thing. Oh, my God. Uh, distilleries have grain in them, uh-huh. and it is a tradition to have cats in a distillery to keep the mouse and bird population from invading the grain. So uh, that's a union job right there. That's... I mean, uh, you can take your right to work and have some mice eating your grain, or you can hire me. That's the way it goes. Yeah, either way. I get paid either way. And let me <laughs> tell you, paid... <laughs> that's a non-export. a good non-exportable American job. Right there. That's got to right stay there. here. Right. You, that's got to stay right here, mm-hmm. you know, with the distillery. Mm-hmm. So you can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go, Postal Unions! Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. Drift Glass, I think you got some liquor in the mail this week. It's possible. I haven't opened the box yet. I got some yarn in the mail this week. And also, Dog-Faced Herman sent me a piece of fleece from one of his lambs. And oh. it's just so nice to have. Just It's a little square, you know... Uh, maybe four postage stamp sized mm-hmm. piece of wool, but it came right from the sheep, and we just love them. Mm-hmm. We just love the sheep. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sending that. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. And don't forget our Amazon link at our website. We believe in buying local, but we also believe in shopping Amazon with our link if your alternative is a big box or chain retail store. Approximately 1% of our listeners support this podcast with a contribution. You can, too. See our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, for details. Both our PayPal and postal address information is there at professionalleft.blogspot.com. Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and thank you for doing that. I'm not sure you can rate our show on Google Play. I'm going to have to check into that. But we're also on Google Play, as I said at the beginning of the show. Yay! And, uh... I'm glad we have that outlet, yeah. Our media empire slowly grows. So, Drift Glass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? You know, Blue Galley, Internet Kitties say that you should be like Brian Doyle Murray at the end of Caddyshack during this primary season. Just ignore all the explosions and nonsense and keep your eye on the ball. And we want to say rest in peace, Prince. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Let's think about living. Think about living. Just think about loving. Think about loving. Just think about the hooping and the hopping and the popping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the wine and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Left Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2016. Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Jeff Glass. Science Fiction University, we are reading the last two stories of our first assignment. And uh, then next week we will get to the picture stories, the art stories. We're looking forward to that. Uh, These two stories, these last two, were a challenge for us to read out loud. So we'll just get started and uh, talk about them. Drift Glass, the first one is from M.H., and you're going to read that one. I am. Autumn, in the high forest, the king sat on his throne. The sun shone warm, but the breeze held an edge of the winter to come. A dry leaf blew against the gold tines of his summer crown and dropped, sliding slowly down his cheek. He gazed out into ordered rows of massive trunks 
fading into shadow, then down to the heavy bar of sunlight which pressed the body of his queen. Gold threads glistened in her robes of green. She lay as if dead, the shard of weir ice, clear and bloodless, piercing her belly. Maintenance unit SNQ-3608 rose in its hexagonal shaft, location code 5132. It moved far faster than usual as its error envelope had been extended under the present emergency. On each level, it checked the occupants of the six identical hexagonal chambers surrounding it. One man, naked and hairless, tethered to a body support tubing, moved through the ancient whole body exercises of Tai Chi, not stepping, rooted to one spot, his shoulders narrowly missed brushing the sides of his container, his gaze shifting, eyes focused but empty of intent as his movements were induced by brainstem nerve induction. The beams from the laser neural net interface shifted with him. They flickered into visibility as they crossed splinters of brilliant blue wreathed his skull diamond bright. The end. The end. There's three stories here, and I don't know how they're going to get mixed together, Mm -hmm. but uh, you've got Game of Thrones kind of at the beginning. I like the weir ice, by the way. Mm -hmm. Then you've got uh, THX movie, and then you've got uh, the Tai Chi guy, and he's in a box box somewhere. Yeah, presumably it's a box being maintained by maintenance unit. SAQ yeah, I would assume that, and somehow the the High Forest, the King, is also related to this whole thing uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and and having a number of stories happen within a computer simulator of some kind is a nice way to tell a lot of stories all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but they do seem to be unrelated yeah, to each other. Yeah, at the moment. Yes, mm-hmm. they do. This this needs to be worked out so that you connect them in some way. And there's and, plenty of visual imagery going on. There's plenty mm-hmm. of blues and diamond brights and golds, and um, I'm unclear as to how a bar of sunlight is pressing down on a body, but maybe that's imagery. I, do, I also like the weir ice. The, the ice one, is nice, yeah. The one thing that's um, completely without features is the thing that's the most compelling. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Clear and bloodless, and mm-hmm. it's and probably because it's piercing someone, it's stabbing someone. There's mm-hmm. an action. There's a painful action going on there that you can feel, and that's what makes that that jump out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a naked, hairless man jumping around in a cage, <laughs> um, which is always exciting, <laughs> but I don't know why he's there. And I don't know what this is. So I will leave it to the author to tell us, uh, because now I'm going to read like an editor. Yeah, yeah. Um, My editor, I, I, I'm sitting at my massive desk at the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. Uh, (laughs) My, my, uh, what is uh, Saul's desk called? I don't know. The Coco Bolo. Coco Bolo, Uh, My massive, expensive Coco Bolo desk uh, where I have thousands of of, uh, submissions. And I'm going through them and just ruthlessly cutting through them. Uh, This one is not going to make it past the third or fourth paragraph. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's something missing here. There's some connective tissue. There's something happening i need to know more about what's going on here and that's you know that's fine that's what that's that's what a first draft is you wouldn't exactly. you wouldn't submit this because it's a first no. draft but i i do think you've got a skill in that your um adjectives are 
descriptive and vivid without being uh, overpowering and uh, unnecessary. I'm, sometimes, as, I, as I've said before, I will throw books across the room that mm-hmm. just are nothing but a string of adjectives because the person who's writing has learned that you need to put lots and lots of adjectives on a page <laughs> to make it vivid for the reader. And it's so self-consciously bad the way it is done. This is, this is good. They, mm-hmm. These are, these are adjectives that say something and paint a picture for the reader's mind without being overwhelming. And that's a skill that uh, you can carry on to your next story. So looking forward to that. Well, one more thing. Yes. Every, this is really um, important, but it's kind of uh, far ahead. This okay. is in your fourth or fifth draft. Mm-hmm. Every word has to carry its weight. Yep. And so you, at, at some point you get to the process of cutting, mm-hmm. very, very ruthlessly cutting. Mm-hmm. And right here you have a maintenance unit that has it's basically a meaningless series of, of letters and numbers. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless right. that means something to you, you would be better served by describing it rather than giving me its a uh, maintenance tag number, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. robotic unit, mm-hmm. hover unit, something more than that, because you're you're trading what's essentially nothing but an unmemorable series of letters and numbers for an adjective, right? That you could be using to advance your plot. Mm-hmm. And unless that particular unit has a relationship with a repairman or something where this is the unit that this particular repairman or this particular uh, observer of the unit feels a, a bond to in some way. There's mm-hmm. no need to name it so specifically. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I get that. That that pulls you away from the story. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, unless it is an identifier that gives something to the unit or personifies it in some way, it's not worth wasting that that reader's moment uh, yeah. to, to put in there. Very good. All yeah. right. Thank you for submitting that. Thank you, And Amaze. now I'm going to read Chris's uh, mm-hmm. first draft, and I think we can clearly say this is a first draft. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through this one and uh, crossed off some extra words, and um, it's too late for the next submission, but we do suggest to everyone that submits to us, read your work out loud before you submit it, because yeah. um, you'll find stuff that you didn't know was there. So... Um, You'll find stuff that shouldn't be there. And you'll find stuff that shouldn't be there. So uh, I will now read Chris's. This is titled Newton, Mississippi, November 3rd, 2032. Slowly, Red opened his eyes, listening to the alarm clock, playing an old Beatles song. Wait, something was different. It was imagined by the old legend himself, John Lennon. You may say I'm a dreamer. The chorus had started... As Red's mind started reviewing the past, what was it now, uh, 16 years ago? Yeah, it was just a couple years before he had placed this song in his Apple autoplay rotation, set to go off on Election Day 2016. May 15th was the day the twins came home with the idea that would eventually shake their country to the core. Phone vote. He had been a very loyal Hillary voter, so he has been feeling guilty of, of signing all those forms. There was the ballot initiative itself, phone vote, which let one use their actual phone to vote. Then there was the right to vote, which did away with those horrible Republican anti-voter rules and made it legal for people as young as 12 who could pass a test eligible to vote. Then there were the impeachments of the governor and their senators. He hadn't even read them when the twins grabbed them out of his hands, pushed them into a folder, and were off to find other people to sign up. 
Lennon was just finishing his song and Red refocused his attention back on the present and willed himself out of bed. As he stood in front of the mirror, he reviewed his to-do list and thanks to election day, he had very little to do. The first thing was voting before the girls called. So he picked up his phone and voted. He had a chuckle over the right-wing douchebag ex-governor Bryant. He even had a moment where he stopped and laughed out loud, remembering Bryant running around promising everyone that this was the most dangerous bill ever. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. God himself agrees yeah. with, with, yeah. with Governor Bryant. <laughs> I'm going to start over with that sentence. He even had a moment... He even had a moment where he stopped and laughed out loud, remembering Bryant running around promising everyone that this was the most dangerous bill ever, right after the right to vote one. What a typical wingnut asshole, Red thought to himself. All right, well, this is a futuristic voting story about phone vote. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, there were a lot of uh, extra words that we crossed off, stuff that needed to be fixed in it. Um I'm not quite sure this is science fiction. It takes place in the future that there's your definition of science fiction drift class is that if you take out the technology, there is no story. Yeah. Is that right? Science is an essential part of the story. Yeah. And this, this would definitely qualify as a science fiction. First of all, it's about the future. Yes. Okay. And the science is you have now automated the voting process Mm -hmm. uh, to the point or the, and by science, this is where you get a little mushy. Science can be psychology. It can be social trends. Okay. All kinds okay. of things. All right. It doesn't, doesn't need to be a gadget. Um, so future apocalypse stories where massive overpopulation mm-hmm. is, white, is is killing stuff is definitely science fiction. Okay. So – and the, the core concept is what if mm-hmm. or if this goes on. Mm-hmm. So if this trend continues along this line, holy crap, what, what, what could possibly happen next? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. by that definition, this is definitely uh, – this is squarely in the science fiction genre. All right. There are election stories out there. Um, I forget the name of the one by uh, Isaac Asimov where polling has gotten so good that you you can uh, – uh, they actually have one person do the election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they made it into a movie. It was a bad movie. <laughs> um, uh, but it was uh, – It was with Kevin Costner. I believe it was with right? Kevin Costner, yeah. And th- that's – delightful that's fine there's also a a very good jimmy stewart movie called grandview usa about jimmy stewart as an ad man who discovers the perfect town to test everything in uh every it's the perfect balanced american town and and whatever works there will work everywhere so this kind of story has a, a pretty rich history um, I, I would, again, like to reiterate what Blue Gal said. Even a first draft needs a proofread. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, I like, the one thing I really liked about the story was the twins. Mm. Yeah. Yep. The twins are a um, sinister yet uh, exciting and hopeful character in the story. Mm-hmm. And you really kind of show them as sort of a lightning bug dashing in and out of the story in a really nice way. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to see more about them as sort of the, uh, you know, as, as you said, when we first read this story, you know, are they telepathic? Are they yeah. able to control people? Are they somehow just caught up in the innocence of we're going to run out and grab signatures and we're just so excited that 
they are actually pawns in a larger evil game in some way <laughs> uh, is it seems to me there's also some sort of sinister undertone to this that phone vote is not going to go the way everyone wants it to. Well, and, it, and this is this is a future where massive amounts of change have happened. Yeah, social changes happen. Um, yeah, you have twelve-year-olds voting. Twelve-year-olds voting, yeah. Im- routine impeachments of governors yeah, and senators. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it sounds like at this point you've automated the voting process and reduced the age to the point where everything is by plebiscite. Yep. Every decision, every every everything that needs to be decided is decided by people just voting on their phone. And people and, in comment threads voting on their phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that can be dangerous. You know, it and, can be. And the amount of social force you would have to bring to bear mm-hmm. to get all of the, these things changed uh, is incredible. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if, again, like you said, the the the, the twins are like the mule yeah. in the Foundation yeah. trilogy. Are they? Can they change people's emotional state? Can they affect their? Um, can you know? Can they control their thoughts? Yeah. Uh, yeah. To the point where, yeah, we're, sure, twelve-year-olds voting—that's a wonderful idea. You also have in here um, a test. Well, we 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 don't have written tests for voting for a reason. Mm-hmm. So not mm-hmm. only have you lowered the voting age to prepubescence, but you've reinstituted a literacy exam or some other kind of exam, which is no longer no longer legal. The Supreme mm-hmm. Court says you can't do that. So um, I like the idea that some incredibly big thing happened that has completely shifted the way we vote in this country. Mm-hmm. And what are the consequences of that? And who are these twins? And yeah. are they pawns? Are they masterminds? Is it? Like the like the little kid in Looper, yeah. You know, are yeah, they mutations yeah. of some kind that yeah. uh, that are just zipping around doing amazing things? Um, that's the co- I think that's the core of your story, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you can shed lots of other things. So go through uh, with a fine tooth comb, find the core of your story. I think you have it. Oh yeah, and yeah. revisit it um, with that advice in mind. All right. Well, thank you very much, Drift Class. And we will be back next week with more Science Fiction University. We're going to get started. We have 11 submissions in this uh, story submission activity with the artwork that we put on our Facebook page and uh, Twitter stream. And they're on our blogs as well. Links to them are at our blogs. And uh, we will be getting back to this and looking forward to it next week. Thank you, Drift Class. Thank you, Blue Gal. Love you. Bye. Love you, too. Bye.